we're going to be talking about the Valley of Elah. Now, this is a very familiar story. This is perhaps uh, the the story is going to be of a young man and a, and a Goliath, a giant. It's uh, we've we've seen this story, we've read it before, but I want you to picture for a moment this young shepherd boy, and he's standing there in this field, and he's. And, and, you know, faster and faster, his swing, his, his, uh, sling is, is whirling. And, and the singing sound of its strings, that's the only sound in this silent valley ringed by all these warriors. And on one slope, you've got the, uh, the, the Philistines and all their bristling javelins. On the other side, you've got these cowering Israelites, these little silhouettes just kind of hiding in the bushes. And, um, on the floor of this, of Valley Elah is this young shepherd boy and he's uncrooks a finger and sends this smooth stone sailing towards this lumbering giant. And, uh, you know, this, this giant's clad in head to toe with bronze. And as this stone sinks into his forehead and he falls to the ground, all of these Philistines are just in shock and awe, and they flee from the shepherd that slays in the name of the Almighty God of the Israelites. I mean, he goes over David severs the head of this giant, and as his blood is, you know, shotting the ground, they're just absolutely just defeated, and, and they run in terror. And so, one stone, one throw, would you have done it? Would I have done it? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, the Valley of, Ezekiel, uh, the Valley of Elah in an area called uh, Ezekiel. Now, I've never been to Israel. Some of you have, correct? You've been? Anyway, um, I'm going to try to take a place called Ezekiel in the Valley of Elah and try to make it as real as possible because it's kind of a fairy tale in our minds. When we think of David and Goliath, we haven't been to these places. We've never met these people. It's kind of a challenge to bring it into our lives. But, you know, we have all know what it's like to go somewhere. I can remember as a little kid, one of my favorite memories of going and experiencing something was uh, Washington, D.C. My father took a, a job as a consultant for a few months in D.C., so we were able to stay there, and my mother, homeschooling my brother and I at the time, took us to all these great monuments, and I remember getting to Capitol Hill, and of course, my brother is standing there just kind of excitingly singing to ourselves, I'm just a bill, yeah, I'm only a bill, and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Anyway, so we start charging up these steps. We just start booking it, and I, we're just like, yeah, and then, oh, oh my gosh, like, they are intense. I don't know if you've ever been to the Capitol Steps, but in that moment, it became very real to me. And so I'm going to try to bring us to this valley today, and I'm going to try to breathe life and, and uh, remove the fairy tale of a, of a story that is perhaps very known to us, David and Goliath. Um, ooh, this is really good. Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit. Who's seen it? Who's gone to the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit? There are not enough hands in this room. Shame on you. You should all go. It's so awesome. I recently, well, it has maybe been a month or two, but recent enough, um, went to the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit. It is phenomenal. It takes your faith to a whole new level. I'm not saying there's anything really magical about it. What I'm saying is there's nothing like getting to see the, the bula, the, sing, the signet rings, uh, the, the ossuaries, the you know, bone boxes, the ostraca, the little pottery shards that people would write scriptures on. It just brings this life to it. So I'm saying, like, to the best of your ability, try to put yourself in the story. And by going to the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit is, is a, an excellent, excellent way to do that. At the end of the day, it's really kind of impossible to truly explain what a story means to all of us. I mean, how do I explain to you what being a, new, being a father is like? I'm a new dad. I'm about nine, ten weeks in. 
And uh, kind of lost track already. <laughs> ten? We're at ten? Okay, good. Uh, yeah. So, how old are you? Yeah. <laughs> what birthday is this? Um, yeah. No. <laughs> so, but it's been good, and I've been loving it. But I've been fear. I've had fear at the same time, and not like fears and trepidation, but like you know, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom type of fear. You know, it's like so. You know, I, I hope we can walk away from here feeling enriched, and, and that the story will maybe perhaps be more real to us. Now, there's another. Uh, there's a city called Lashish. Lashish. I didn't, I didn't have a, con- I wanted to show you a conceptual overlay of a city like Azika. I couldn't find an image of it, so I'm going to bring you this one. So, um, Lashish is a similar, it's, it's just south of Azika, and it has a similar, um, construction with these walled cities. There's usually a large temple in the center. There should be a, 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 a picture that goes along with that. Oh, maybe not. Anyway, well, that's unfortunate. Um, just imagine, you know, they had these large walled cities with these temples in the center. And um, so that concept, that was going to hopefully, there we go. Yeah. So, um, you know, it just kind of makes it more real. You know, you see these ruins and you're like, well, that's nice. I get the gist. But what does it really look like? And that's that's a concept of what Azika kind of looked like. So you had these great walled fortified cities kind of up on the mountains around these different valleys. So let's go to the next slide, and, and that'll, that'll be pretty much the, the gist of today's geography lesson. Because you've got, you've got Bethlehem kind of off, off of the screen to the west, and then Ezekiel and then Lashish. So that kind of just, just kind of gets you in the ballpark. But let's talk about the place. Let's actually, uh, let's, let's go ahead and we'll jump into the word today. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but eventually kind of get into the gist of it. The David and Goliath is a long story, so I'm not going to read the entire thing to you, but, we, but we'll discuss enough to where I think we'll walk away having a real sense of, uh, of the story. So, let's start in verse 1 through 3. Um, now it says, that the, Now the, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka and Judah. Actually, I'll go ahead and read out the scripture rather than the slide so that we get the full gist of it. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They gathered at Soko, which belonged to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekiel and Ephesdeum. The Saul, Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and the Israelites stood uh, on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. All right, so here we have the Israelites and the Philistines, kind of the armies of darkness versus the armies of light, of God. And they, they're pitching their tents at FSDM. Saul is shoring up his lines as well in that valley. And the Philistines are occupying, they're both kind of in this standoff on these mountains. But let's, let's, uh, let's start talking about the people. Let's set the stage here. So Goliath, we've got this giant guy and he, in verse Verse 10 through, uh, verses 4 through 10, and I'll even include 16, um, says this. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he wore, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. 
The shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And and his shield-bearer went out before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up lines for battle? Am Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man from yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight me and kill me, then he will be, then he will be your servant. But if you prevail against me, then you shall be your servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. And uh, he did this for about 40 days. That's what verse 16 says. He comes out for 40 days and comes forward, took a stand morning and evening. All right, let's talk about it. So David and Goliath, giant green pickle, right? Angry cucumber? No. Yeah. Not quite. Thank you, VeggieTales. I can't read the story the same ever again. I just keep thinking of that sour cucumber. (sighs) Anyway, let's get past that, and let's try to, let me try to paint the picture here. So we've got this guy named Goliath. He's a champion from birth. He's a warrior from, from his youth. He's from Gath. He was actually supposedly had four brothers. He was one of five. Now that's according, there's some scriptural evidence that you can, for, for, you know, giants in the Bible. And there, um, there's some church traditions that implicate that, his, that the giants mentioned in the Bible were quite possibly Goliath's brothers. So, um, here we have David. Uh, if we'll get into it a, a little more later, but in verse 40, David goes down to the to the to the river, takes out food, five smooth stones, and is you know prepared to go out against Goliath. And I kind of wondered when I read the story, is that David going, man, I better get a couple more, pe- I mean, a little more ammunition, I might miss. Was that him second guessing himself? And I, uh, you know, I don't think that's the case, and I'll talk a little more about that later. But more or less. Here we have Goliath, a champion from Gath, supposedly one of five brothers, standing nine feet tall. That's what that cubit in the hand was all about, six cubits in the hand was all about. I wonder if he was the runt of the litter. That would be really <laughs> impressive. Anyway, I was just, I'm just trying to envision this guy, and because it's, it's kind of difficult to imagine that, because uh, I don't exactly deal in shekels either. So, you know, 5,000 shekels, I'm like, what is this? Uh, okay, um, let me look this up. So it's approximately 125 pounds. Now, it's been a long time since I've dealt with that kind of weight. But uh, going to the gym, you know, I see these guys with these vests, and they put little sandbags or rods in them to kind of give them a little more weight. Actually, the closest I can get to that is like Philmont, New Mexico, hiking up in the mountains, you know, carrying all of our food and all of our clothes in these backpacks. And, you know, they weigh about 50, 60 pounds sometimes or whatever. And so, you know, what would that feel like? And I tried to imagine... 5,000 shekels worth of armor, and the closest I could get was, that would be like carabining, you know, rock climbing, carabining 15 milk jugs to your chest, trying to walk around. And so you got this dude, or maybe like 10 baby rivers, if I had somehow, somehow katoned, slung 10 of river on me. And that's great, I'm like, okay, wow, that's a lot of armor. Then he's got this five, no, he has a, a spear that, what did it say, 15 pounds, about 600 shekels, that's three five-pound sacks of flour. I was trying to remember the last time I dealt with that, and I was like, oh, yeah, high school, and my teacher gave me the little flour baby. You ever do that experiment? I don't know. My my mom, even though I was homeschooled, was like, you're going to carry around a sack of flour all day and pretend it's your baby. Here's a face. And so, anyway, so this dude's a boss. I mean, he's got armor. He's got a spear. He's a champion from birth. 
He's coming out and he's like, here's the deal. I beat you, I get all. You beat me, you can get all. He's this crazy proposition. Saul's over here in the bushes along with all of his Navy SEALs and his special ops, basically just quaking in his boots. And we chastise Saul and the Israelites. What are you guys doing? Well, you have to do a little bit of background study on this one. You have to realize that this is well past the conquest. They're not this warrior nation that they were when they were running into the promised land anymore. At this point, they've kind of beat their spears into plows or shears. So they're very much an agrarian culture at this point in the Israelite um, nation's you know history. But they've got this very formidable Israelite nation coming against them that forges their own modern weapons out of iron. They make their own equipment, their own weapons, and they have shut the Israelites out. If you read 1 Samuel 13, it says, not a blacksmith in Israel could be found. See, if you want to control a nation, you're going to take away all of its weapons. And so that's what the Philistines had more or less done. They had shut them out from the possibility of being able to arm themselves to the point where Saul and his son are the only ones that really are affording a sword at the time. And so it's no wonder that they're kind of cowering. And so we chastise them. But given the situation, I wonder, would you have done the same? Would I have done the same? I mean, what, what would we would we have stepped up and accepted this challenge? You know, because now you've got this young shepherd boy who's, who's got, you know, he's got some serious stones. He's got some... <laughs> He's got a sling, he's got a rock, he's got a bunch, he's got five rocks, and I mean, he's ready to protect himself, and he was good at this. He was good at slinging these rocks. He's a shepherd in the wilderness. I think we kind of get that gist, since we live sort of in the wilderness of a desert. We really, and uh, I mean, we've all done it. We've all been, you know, well, maybe we haven't all done, but most of us have played the first one to hit the sign game, right? I mean, you're out there, you got nothing but rocks, and so you're just like, hey, First one to hit the sign. Bing! Yeah! It's like, I can imagine me sitting there like, first one to hit the sign. Yeah. I mean, he's got, she, I imagine that he probably talked to his sheep kind of like Castaway. He probably named one of them Wilson. I don't know. But, so he's, he's got this young kid who's on fire, fire for God. He's got this just zeal from, I mean, obviously, later on he's, he's, stepping up in front of this giant saying, who are you to defy the ranks of Israel? So he's throwing these rocks. He's really good at it. I mean, incredibly courageous to throw his stone. And when his, cor- when his courage, let's, let's get to the, the, the real thing here. When David had the courage to throw his stone, when that intersected with God's heart, with God's will, with God's purpose, when David and God were able to intersect great things happen. You know, I almost said revival, but I would say more like deliverance came forth. So, um, verse 43, really quick. You know, you've got David standing out. and Philist- The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at with this stick? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And then David, this guy is, he, it's just great. You come at me with, the, with your sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of the Israelites, whom you have defied. I mean, that's, this is, I am excited. I'm looking forward to what's about to unfold here because here's the plot. The, the plot is, against all odds, the least likely is about to take down the most likely. Against all odds, the least likely is about to take down the most likely. So, indulge. 
Indulge me to read this portion, um, and just you can follow along. So here's the story of David and Goliath. Now, when the word so Dave, so David stands up to Goliath and he's like, "Who who is this foolish man? You know, what do we get for taking him down?" Um, and, and he goes and Saul here. So Saul heard what David had spoke, and he said to him, and David said to Saul, "Let no heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight the, this Philistine." Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, and went after it and struck it down, rescuing it from its mouth, and if it turned on me, I would catch it by the the jaw, strike it down and kill it, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised, this uncircumcised Philistine will be, shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David's got some serious moxie. This is insane. So David said, to, um, the Lord saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. Um, he will save me from the hands of the Philistines. So he said to Paul, go, and may the Lord be... So he said to Saul, "Go." Uh, Saul said to David, "Go, and may the Lord be with you." Now Saul clothed David with his armor, putting a bronze helmet on his head and clothing him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried to walk in vain, for he was unable to use them. And David said to Saul, "I can't walk with these. I'm very, I'm not used to them." So Saul, so David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi, from the river, and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came out and drew near to David with a shield bared in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he was disdained, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And as I mentioned before, the Philistine, he comes out and he's like, Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to him, You come at me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give your body to, and I will give your the bodies of the Philistine armies this very day to the birds of the air and the wild animals. So the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword or spear. But the battle is the the Lord's and he gives uh, you into my hand. When the Philistines drew drew near, David ran quickly towards the battle lines to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in in the bag, took out a stone, slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his into his forehead. He fell face down on the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone, striking the Philistine down and killing him, though there was no sword in his hand. And I'll even include 51. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, grasped his sword, drew it from its sheath, and killed him, and then cut off his head. And the Philistines fled. And when the Philistines saw this, that their companion had fallen, their champion had fallen, they ran and fled. Wow. Okay. So here, this this is this is the point. The point of this story 
you know, the plot, the least likely taking down the most likely, is it's, it's not about who you are or what you have, but who you trust that really matters. It's not who you are or what you have, but who you trust that really matters. Um, it's, it's common. I, I've said it, you've said it, we've all at some point come to the point where we feel a moment of, 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 you know, uprising in our heart, but then we find coming out of our lips the word, well, I know, but, or I'd rather, I'd, I'd do that, I'd be glad to, but, or, or if, you know, yeah, sure, I'd do that if, and, you know, that's not the right, that's not the correct way to approach it. The not having the right equipment is not a valid excuse. I mean, let's instead look at David. Let, let's look at his life. He's this young shepherd boy with a sling, and he's standing up and saying, "You fool! who is this foolish man? And, you know, he must have thought to himself, he must have, have been thinking, I've got a stone. A stone must be enough. I've got this one thing I'm good at. That must be enough. I've got a stone. That must be enough. And, you know, I'm really good at this one thing. That's got to be what God is calling me to do. So here's the deal. It's not about technology. It's not about size. That's not the issue. The issue in this story is a trust issue. The issue in this story is the fact that he had five stones because he knew the other four were going to be just as good as the first one for the other guys that were coming after Goliath. So he trusted in his provider, not his provisions. I guess that's the the scripture I found was uh, was Psalms 20, verse 7. It says, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so you have David here standing before Goliath and trusting in his provider. And so, you know, I've got the stone. And I know who my God is. Let's make this happen. So, uh, so in, in 1 Samuel 17, 45, that's the, the other scripture I just wanted to include as well. Because it talks a lot about his trust. You come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of you know the, the Lord Most High, God Almighty, the, the, the Lord Almighty, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And so the truth which I'll elaborate on here in a little bit, is the fact that this is nothing, the, uh, there's nothing that God can't do. There is nothing that the, that, that the Lord cannot accomplish if we're fully surrendered to Him. If we give our lives to, to, to Christ, if we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us through the, the leading of, you know, through God's you know, plan, our full surrender to that, to, to that kind of relationship is going to bring about a wealth spring of, of just overcoming Goliaths. So, um, who do we trust? But I have to kind of thought break here for a second and say, I'm really worried where we're going. Even, even since when I've been in youth ministry as a youth and just coming up through seminary training, the world has gotten a lot darker. I don't know what's going on, but for some reason, darkness, I feel personally like darkness is prevailing a little bit more than I expected it to. It's kind of got me off center. I, I feel like we're being, and I say we as in the all of us Christians, Church Universal, not just us here in this room, but I wonder if we aren't being a little bit like Saul 
instead of David and cowering in the bushes. I wonder... See, the, the thing I'm noticing is that, that believers like David, people who had moxie for, for God to stand up and, and you know slay a Goliath, are not... They're the exception. They're not the rule. Believers like David are the exception and not the rule. And, and I just... It's, it's making me nervous that, that, you know, our problem is that even as God's people today, we're unwilling to stand up and we're watching from the bushes. Some of us are. I don't know where we're... Some of you might not be. Some of you might be out there fighting the good fight front and center like David, but some of us, I think, are still in the bushes feeling inferior, feeling huddling in our, our little holy huddles and our little groups kind of watching from the bushes, and we're asking ourselves... Or we're telling ourselves, oh, someone else will get it. No, 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 you know, that's a large sign-up sheet. Someone else will do it. You know, maybe we're qualified. You know, I'm not trained or whatever. Not like, And, I mean, I ask you, will they? Will, they? will you? Will you stop? Will you stand up? Will you step out? And actually, I mean, will I start looking for, you know, to, to step out, to, to get out of that, that little ruddy bush and, and start doing Slinging that stone, doing that thing I'm good at, because I mean, who wouldn't want the message? If you boil it down, let's just say this: the our our joy, our passion, our job, if you will, as Christians, is to share the gospel. And who wouldn't want the gospel message? I mean, if in essence you're going to someone, we're going to I'm going to someone, and saying, "Excuse me, sir, would you like to have a little more control in your life? Would you like to have a, a more a semblance of peace, love, and joy? Maybe you're feeling a bit guilty and kind of." You know, um, disheartened, surrounded by emptiness. Well, I've, I know a guy. Name's Jesus. And, you know, and kind of go into the whole talk of like, I serve a divine creator God. And he was holy and loving. And because of such, we could not be in his presence because we had fallen away from that. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sins so that the, through the empowerment and conviction of the Holy Spirit, we could be brought back into relationship with him. Who wouldn't want that? Why are we afraid to share this faith? Why are we afraid to step out and start throwing our rock? Because, well, let me put it this way. I don't know what the answer to that is, but I can tell you what the answer is to why people don't want to listen to Christians. Because they think we're fake. Or they're, if, if we come off as fake. Let me put it that way. If we come off as fake, as we come, if we come off as disingenuous, if people don't see God's love, if people don't see God's power in our life, we're just another gimmick. And so I don't want that to be the case for us because believers like David are the exception and not the rule. We should be the, we should be the rule. Our love and our, we have access. We should be different. Let me put it this way. Um, God's people, uh, even today, we're unwilling to step up. Our faith should make us different and give us access to a power far greater than anything the world has. But, that kind of faith is an exception and not the rule. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, so people people want to see. People are inspired by by the kind of David-like faith. So the application, just to kind of reiterate, I mentioned it earlier, is if we want to live our lives to the fullest, we need to fully surrender to trusting Him, fully surrendering to trusting God that He gave me a rock. That must be enough. All right, so
All he had, all he knew, all he needed. All he had, all he knew, and all he needed was a stone because the least likely took down the most likely because he was willing to throw that stone. He was willing to throw his stone. Romans 12, Romans 12, 1 through 2 is an excellent exhortation. I love the writings of Paul and especially here in Romans. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of Christ's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your act. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to, tr- to test and approve the will of God, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Now, I think, God, I think David knew. He knew what the will was. He knew that that kind of language and behavior coming out of the Philistines was not the will of God. That was not pleasing. That was not, he was not going to, you know, allow that type of imperfection to be tolerated. So here's the action step. My, the, my second to last slide, if you will. The action step that I want you to walk away with is that you gotta make the choice. You have to make the choice. All, each and every one of you in this room have to decide who are you gonna trust? Who are you gonna put your faith in? Um, Acts 2. Acts 2. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's power in that. Start throwing your stone. Start throwing the stone. Whatever it is and wherever you are, start throwing that's your stone. Um, to each of us are given gifts. We each have a talent. Let's go ahead and uh, put that scripture up as well. So start throwing your stone, where, whatever it is, wherever you are. Because when I read scriptures like, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, I get incredibly convicted and it really empowers me because, you know, I, I am good at, you know, we all have our, our gifts and abilities. We all have our talent. So let me read this. There, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of work, but the same God works all things, all of them, and all men. Now each one, uh, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's an incredible scripture talking about the fact that we all have a stone, and are we willing to throw it? And I just thought that was incredibly empower, you know, empowering because. As a youth pastor, you know, I've got my, I've devoted my life to throwing rocks at the youth ministry sign. <laughs> and so, didn't actually mean to go there, it's not scripted, but I'm just saying, you know, we all have a stone. We all have something that we're really good at. And it's our job to get out of a little scrubby bush, stand up, and start throwing that rock. And every day here at church, in the community, at work, are you throwing your stone? Are you standing up? And, you know, I think another thing that we often do sometimes, I mean, I find myself doing it sometimes, is, well, it's just not a good place right now. Or, I'm just not feeling it. You know, and it's, it's, we make these excuses, and it's like, seriously? You're going to use that line? We're going to use that line? We're going to try to stand up before God and say, we're not feeling it, or we're not in a good place right now, spiritually, mentally, physically, whatever it is. I mean, I don't know. I'd be interested to see how many of you could actually stand up to Paul, look him in the eyes, Paul in the Bible, and uh, and say, hey, I know you've been shipwrecked a couple times, flogged a few, 
And, oh, sorry about your eyes. I know they were sure shut for three days, but I'm, I just can't volunteer for, you know, Bible, to lead that Bible study or bring that meal or, or I don't, can't share my faith, you know, with that coworker because you know, I'm just not in a good place right now. Like, we're going to try to use that line. Or you're going to try to say that your talents aren't good enough, that if Moses were here, you're going to be like, look, I don't really talk that good. Like, I'm, you know, I think you could do, you did, yeah, you, yeah I can't. I'm not in a good place. I don't know how we do that. Or Daniel, you know, oh, here, you know, my emotional lions are just really getting at me. You know, I know you were surrounded by them in that pit, but, like, I'm really getting nipped at. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it is heating up in the office. I got some pressure getting put on me by the boss. And, uh, yeah, you know, I just can't. I just, I can't do it. So, start throwing your stone. Like, get out there. We don't have an excuse. And I'm not trying to be condescending. I'm not trying to make light of your circumstances. We all live, we all share and live in, in seasons and moments together. But I want us to be light. I want us to share light. I want us to reach out into the community in a way that becomes, just invokes a love and a joy for salvation. And so let's try to remember this. I don't have a slide for this. This is just my way of wrapping up everything today before I talk to you about my personal Goliath. Um, remember this. I, if you walk away from today, this is, the, this is it. I want you to remember that against all odds, the least likely took down the most likely. It's not who we are or what we have, but who we trust that really matters. You have to make the choice to trust God because there is nothing that God can't do with or through a person that is fully surrendered to trusting him. If you want to live a life, you live your life and live it to the fullest, you need to fully surrender to trusting him and start throwing your stone wherever it is and wherever you are in life. Start throwing that stone. My Goliath... And my, is, is this. This is my Goliath. Welcome. Yes, I am the director of the Harvest Festival this year. And uh, I've got a heck of a champion against me. I have got a secular culture that is defying me. Very, very nasty, nasty giant. I've got the secular culture that's telling me my church is weak. I have this giant of a culture telling me that church is misguided, that Christians don't, don't get it anymore. They're telling me that I'm weak, I'm pathetic, and that my little festival that I keep putting on every year just needs to stop. That every time you do a festival, you are foolishly competing with a world champion of a national holiday called Halloween, who do you think you are to defy the ranks of Halloween? Who do you think you are stepping up and trying to... You think, you honestly think that your little festival can satisfy your God, your God. You think your God can satisfy the hearts of Ridgecrest like Halloween can. That's, that's what I'm getting... Just That's what's just been yelled at me ever since I stepped up and said... I got this. I've, I've just been, this guy's been yelling at me. His culture's been yelling at me. I've talked to some of you. I've ta- I wish, I wish I could have gone down the rows to every single one of you and asked you how you feel about Harvest Festival. Because I've talked to a handful of you. 
And I have heard exactly what the giant's been saying, what culture's been saying. I've heard you guys overwhelmingly whimpering from the bushes, I feel used. I feel abused. I felt neglected. I did not feel appreciated. I felt very physically and emotionally drained because of Harvest Festival. I don't want to step up ever again to this giant. That broke my heart. And then the evangelistic undertone of your festival has become so lost in the noise, I don't even want to help. I don't want to participate in this. Or the festival, it's just us celebrating Halloween. Those are the three things I've heard from you, and I've heard it overwhelmingly to the point where I almost canceled Harvest Festival. But then I started to realize what it was really about. I I went to the Word, and I found 1 Corinthians 9, and I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians 9 says, To the Jews I become like a Jew to win the Jews, to those under the law like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I have become like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but rather under Christ's law. So to win those not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I have become weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that so that possibly I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in the blessing. So, if you're worried about Harvest Festival, if, if you fell into one of those categories that I talked about, I hear you. I got it. I feel it. I, uh, but I want you to know that Harvest Festival is first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. What do I mean by that? Here's what Harvest Festival is. I will lay it down right here in this moment, why I think we have Harvest Festival. I think we have Harvest Festival because we want to provide a fun, wholesome, family-friendly, safe alternative to Halloween. And to the non-Christians, we want to provide the same, a fun, wholesome, family-friendly environment. But we want them to possibly walk away with more than just a smile on their face and candy in their bags. We hope that they'll walk away with a renewed understanding and curiosity for who Christ is, who God is, and what this strange feeling they're feeling inside their heart and being able to tell them that you know that's the Holy Spirit and show them that. So that's what Harvest Festival is to me. It's a place where we come together as a church and people see a unified heart and mind of joy, of passion, of excitement that makes them want to know why we do Harvest Festival. And so that... And, and invite them. we can invite them to our life groups, invite them to Sunday morning. We can begin to find their needs and reach out to them you know, on, on work days. And whatever that looks like, that's what Harvest Festival is. And so if, you, if that made sense, if, if, you, if that connected to you, and I hope it did, I want every single one of you that can to step up and start throwing your stones. Every single one of you in this room have a talent, have an ability, have a God-given you know, attribute that you can use. And I think if we all stepped up, and I mean, could you imagine how different the story would? And this is kind of going off the, the biblical script. What if there were just a whole army of Davids throwing stones? How crazy would that be? And so how many, what could you do if you had, if we became the rule and not the exception? You know, so... That's Harvest Festival. I, I'm going to kind of land with that and say, 
I want to see every single one of you out there throwing a rock. I mean it. I will go through every single row and look you eye to eye if I have to. But I can't because I'm out of time. What do we have? One more Sunday before Harvest Festival? I don't have time to call you individually and personally, but I would love to because I know you guys have got some amazing talents and gifts and abilities out there, but you have felt burnt or abused or, or neglected. You've, you feel like we maybe lost the focus. I get it. I, I, I resonate with that, but you know, let's, let's make the change. Rather than canceling something, rather than canceling this incredible outreach to the community, Let's just unify our hearts and minds again. Let's renew the joy of our salvation and pour that into Harvest Festival. And so, you know, there's a sign-up sheet out by the back, and, you know, I encourage you to put your name in there. Fill all of those slots. And, uh, you know, I'll do my best to kind of keep track of everyone this year and make sure we're in the right spots. But honestly, it's just going to have to be sort of a... uh, uh, day of the battle ordeal. Everyone come out, unify, figure out where to go. If you have a booth that you've worked in the past or if you see something that interests you, come talk to me or someone who else who has worked with Harvest Festival and help you out. There's tons and tons of little mini Goliaths that you can throw your stone at, you know, at Harvest Festival. And so that's my exhortation today is to let's let's begin throwing our stone. All right. All right. Well, you know, I want to end this with prayer. And, and as we'll always do, you know, we have a tradition of, of going out and, and uh, praying with an elder if you need it. And we do that because this is just one giant that, that we are dealing with. But he's one of brothers. He has many brothers. Some of you are dealing with other Goliaths. And, and we as elders, as staff, as a congregation want to help you slay your giant. And so today... Whatever it is, if you need prayer, please step out into the dining hall directly in the next room and pray with an elder. Um, maybe this is your first time. Maybe this is the, the, the moment that you finally connected the dots and it's, it's making sense who Christ is and what it, what it means to, to surrender fully and trust in him. Go tell someone. Tell someone about where you are. And, and you know, let's, let's do this. Let's get these rocks flying. And let's let's get out of the bushes and on onto the field, and let's 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 see God's the the God the Almighty Lord the get out there and, and change hearts and minds and, and just begin to bring revival to Ridgecrest. Let me pray for us, and uh, or and while I'm praying, if you feel led to step out, you may. Right. Dear Lord, I just uh, thank you for this this message that you've given to us and I um, thank you for all that you've done through your son and through just our our work here on earth Lord we we strive we attempt and, and, and pray daily to connect with you to bring our stone before you and ask and then ask you where it needs to be thrown and so help us to step up to just get out of the bushes and and into the into the light and begin to throw our stone whatever that is wherever you are in life Lord to just unify our hearts and minds and re- renew the joy of our salvation by coming together and and not expecting someone else to step up, but to us step up. And if we all do that together, just what a beautiful, beautiful sight it will be. So we pray all of this in your name.